When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey there, welcome to The Tent. I'm your host, Scott Fellman, and it's time for another foray into the world of aquariums from a slightly different perspective. You know, it seems incredible to me that the world of blackwater botanical-style aquariums is still finding its tribe with lots of hobbyists trying to, you know, set up these types of aquariums for the very first time. And as the techniques evolve, the processes become more refined or even more unusual. I was thinking about this the other day when I was playing with a new tank I'm starting up in my home office. I utilize some mangrove wood, which as many of you who've used this stuff already know, it's it takes a while to cure. It, it's not an easy wood to cure. It puts out a lot of gunk, a lot of dirt, a lot of debris. And I've tended to use it uncured and most of the times that I've used it, believe it or not, which results in the inevitable cloudiness, uh, the tint from the tannins bound up in the bark of the wood, uh, fungal growth almost immediately. Um, it's just that type of wood and it happens to most wood when you submerge it but it happens a lot with this and it just got me thinking about the whole process of when we start up aquariums and you know when you add botanicals to an aquarium particularly a brand new one there's almost always some sort of cloudiness initially that's usually caused by several factors ranging from you know good old dirt that's bound up in the botanicals and the wood and leaves to things like dissolving lignin cellulose and of course the tannins it's a complex organic brew which is released into the water as the materials begin to break down and of course, all this material dissolving into the water can create cloudiness. That's probably your first sign that stuff is happening. We see this type of cloudiness in aquariums when we may not have fully prepared our botanicals or, you know, wood. Now, will it go away on its own with or without intervention? In my experience, it will eventually. And of course, eventually can be days, weeks, or longer. <laughs> no guarantees. And without intervention is sort of a vague thing. You can let nature sort it out as she's done for eons. I mean, you could, could even cure wood and botanicals in situ, right in the tank. I've done it before. I've just said I've done it with mangrove many times. I wouldn't recommend it, however, because you know, no one wants to see all that dirt and stuff get released unnecessarily when you can do it easily in a container of water. On the other hand, you know, you could, and you're like, well, shit, Scott, you said you could, so how would you do this? Well, I did. I did say that, didn't I? So, at the run, you know, I run the risk of being pretty irresponsible, I know, but let me elaborate a little further on this. There's a few approaches you can take to managing this kind of stuff when you cure things in situ. One thing, you can employ some chemical filtration media like activated carbon to help clear the cloudiness and perhaps remove some of the organics. You can perform water exchanges with the knowledge that this may disrupt or slow the development of a significant population of beneficial bacteria. You can do this. You won't be adding fishes for a while, but you can do this. And you can add bacteria, however. And in fact, this is where our bacterial inoculant culture can actually excel. It's comprised of the hardy, incredibly versatile purple non-sulfur bacteria, Rhodosubinomus palustris. And like nitrifying bacteria, PNSB or purple non-sulfur bacteria, metabolize ammonium and nitrate and nitrite. And they're not just important to the nitrogen cycle, though. They're also capable of aerobic organoketerotrophy, a process of removing dissolved organics from the water column, just like other microbes. 
PNSBs are useful for their ability to carry out a particularly unusual mode of metabolism, anaerobic photoheterotrophy. In this process, they consume organic waste while inhabiting moderately illuminated and poorly oxygenated microhabitats. So I'm thinking of, you know, patches of detritus, broken down botanicals, shallow depths of substrate, the deeper pores of expanded clay media, like, you know, some of the sands and substrates that we use, leaf litter beds, etc. Now, by competing with other anaerobes like methanogenic archaeans, more about those guys later, and sulfite-reducing bacteria for food, these are really voracious kind of sludge eaters, and they significantly reduce the production of toxic byproducts like methane and hydrogen sulfide. Now, it's important to understand that your best allies in the case of establishing, in the cause of establishing a new botanical-style aquarium are always bacteria and fungi. We've talked about this repeatedly. Bacteria will arrive in your aquarium through a number of means, on leaves and in seed pods in particularly, if you're using material from an established one, wood, etc., etc. The nitrifying bacteria that we admire so much are present in almost every aquatic ecosystem, even brand new ones. However, there simply aren't enough of them in a new aquarium to process the waste produced by a significant fish population. And of course, to grow a population of these beneficial bacteria, you need to supply them with their major energy source, which is ammonia. So without rehashing the whole well-trodden nitrogen cycle stuff, we know by now that these bacteria will oxidize the ammonia and convert it to nitrite. Then a second group of bacteria processes and converts that into the less harmful compounds, specifically nitrate. When both of these types of bacteria reach a population that's sufficient to process the available energy sources, you've got an aquarium that's cycled. It's Aquarium Keeping 101, right? We all know this. Yeah, we should. Of course, with the pH in a blackwater aquarium generally falling into the range of 6 to 6.8, you'll see a slower processing of ammonia and nitrate. And when you get really low pH, as we've talked about before, like 5.5 or lower, these organisms essentially shut down, and a new class of organisms, archaeans, take over. Now, that's a whole different thing for a different blog, but suffice it to say, the lower pH botanical-style blackwater aquarium is a different animal altogether. And I think that the real key ingredient to managing a low pH system, like any system, is our old friend patience. It takes longer to hit an equilibrium and or a safe, reliable operating zone. Populations of these organisms that we depend on to cycle waste will take longer to multiply and reach levels sufficient to handle the bioload in a low pH closed system, containing a lot of fishes and botanicals and stuff like that. Now, this certainly gives the bacterial populations more time to adjust to the increase in bioload and for the dissolved oxygen levels to stabilize in response to the addition of materials being added, especially in an existing aquarium. Going slowly when adding you know, botanicals to any aquarium is always the right move, in my opinion. And again, at those extremely low pH levels, what do you do? What happens? Well, archaeans. They sound exotic and even creepy. They could be our friends. We might not even be aware of their presence in our systems, if they're there at all, which I think they are. I'm not 100% certain, but I think they might be. I hope they might be. Just a refresher. Archaeans in include habitants, inhabitants of like some of the most extreme environments on the planet. Some live near vents in the ocean where the temperatures are well over 100 degrees centigrade. I mean, true extremophiles. Others reside in hot springs or in extremely alkaline or extremely acid waters. They've been found thriving inside of the digestive tracts of cows, termites, and marine life where they produce methane. No comment there. They live in anoxic muds of marshes, which is interesting, and even thrive in petroleum deposits deep underground. Yeah, these are pretty crazy adaptable organisms. The old cliche of, you know, if these were six feet tall, they'd be ruling the world sort of comes to mind. 
they're fucking beasts, literally. Could it be that some of the challenges in cycling what we define as lower pH aquariums are a byproduct of this sort of no man's land, where the pH is too low to support a large enough population of functioning nitrosominus and nitrobacter, but not low enough for significant populations of archaea to make their appearance? Could be. I'm not... You know, I'm totally speculating here, and I could be so far off base that it's not even funny, and some first-year biology major who happens to be a fish geek could be reading this and just laughing at me, and that's likely so. But I still can't help but wonder, is this a possible explanation for some of the difficulties some hobbyists have uh, you know, in the lower pH arena that they've had over the years? Perhaps the reason why the mystique of lower pH systems being so difficult to manage has been so strong. Could be that we just need to go a lot slower when stocking pH, low pH systems? I think so. We should go slower. And I also think that the product like the purple non-sulfur bacteria, like we've been you know, lucky enough to offer to you, are great adaptable organisms that can live in these low pH environments. In fact, as we mentioned above, they actually can out-compete some of these arcans. Interesting stuff. I mean, the answer to all this stuff is go slow, but you can cure everything in situ if you understand what's happening what the potential downsides are and how to manage the process. You just need to be patient. Right after the initial break-in and cycling process comes the next phase, decomposition, which we've talked about ad infinitum here. Decomposition of plant-based matter and botanicals occurs in several stages. It starts with leaching soluble carbon compounds that are liberated during the process. Another early process is the physical breakup or fragmentation of the plant material into smaller pieces, which have greater surface area for colonization by microbes. And of course, the ultimate state to which leaves and other botanical materials evolve to is our old nemesis or friend, detritus. And of course, the very word, as we've mentioned many times here before, has frightened and scared the shit out of many hobbyists over the years into removing as much of the stuff as possible from their aquariums whenever and wherever it appears. Siphoning detritus is sort of a thing that we're asked about near constantly. And this makes perfect sense, of course, because our aquariums, by virtue of the materials they utilize, produce substantial amounts of this stuff. Now, the idea of detritus takes on different meanings in our botanical-style aquariums. Our aquarium definition of detritus is typically agreed to be dead particulate matter, including fecal material and dead organisms, mucus, etc. Not very appetizing stuff. And bacteria and other microorganisms, microorganisms will colonize this stuff and decompose it further, remineralize it, essentially completing the cycle. Decomposition is so fundamental to our game that it deserves mentioning again and again and again here. Now, a lot of people may disagree, but I personally find that this phase, when stuff starts to break down, is the most exciting and rewarding part of the whole process. That's when things start feeling like they're really happening, and perhaps one of the most natural. Again, can you experience this stuff by curing your botanicals in situ? Can you just leave everything alone, let nature do the work without intervening? You could. You probably want to do a water change or two after your tank is cycled, but the cloudiness, I find that's caused by all this initial bacterial bloom or whatever, it tends to subside. I'm not saying to, to be foolhardy and do this every time, but you might want to experiment once in a while. You might want to experiment by utilizing bacteria. They're your friends. Whether you use you know, good products out there like uh, Cycle or some of the stuff that Seachem makes or even our product, you know, culture, you do need to enlist the help of bacteria in the fight. In a botanical-style aquarium, I think they're fundamental. How we start our systems, the approach that we take, the way we react and adjust, these are fundamental parts of the equation. And yet, there are a lot of different ways you can go. Some will raise a few eyebrows. Some will make fellow hobbyists think that you're crazy. But you can take different routes. You can experiment with all kinds of things. What kind of long-term effects will you get? Try one and see. And you should at least think about them now and again. 
So stay creative, stay studious, stay engaged, stay excited, and always stay wet. Until next time, this is Scott Bellman from Tannin Aquatics. Thanks for spending part of your day with me, and I look forward to seeing you on the next installment of The Tannin.